Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we turn to your essential political analysis for this week, I want to tell you about our wonderful partners at The Resident, where all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with quintessential British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood. Without The Resident, you might not get to experience London. And without The Resident, we wouldn't be here on Whitehall Sources. Whitehall Sources, your essential, essential politics podcast, is brought to you in association with The Resident. up a lying, law-breaking Prime Minister and then allow him to put his cronies in the House of Lords. Clowns didn't do it. The Conservatives did. So, let me take this opportunity to apologise unreservedly to that party member and to the whole clowning community. I'm sorry I used the wrong C word. Welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Wednesday, the 27th of September. Thank you for being there. Thank you for finding us. If you're brand new, welcome. We take you behind the door of Whitehall, of all the various offices of Whitehall, actually, uh, to give you insight into current political events and current affairs uh, based on the experiences of our wonderful guests, which, of course, includes Kirsty Buchanan, who was a special advisor to Prime Minister Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you, Callum. Are you well? I am well, thank you. Yes, I'm all right. I am, I'm a bit end of term. I am heading on holiday in a couple of days, and I've just had an email from Jealous. the hotel, uh, you know, prepare for your arrival, which I will very gladly do <laughs> after, after this. How are you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm three, I'm three quarters of the way through my chemo. Woo, Hooray. woo. Hooray. Two to go. Um, uh, shout out to all the amazing 
uh, chemo nurses at the Amberley Ward at Worthing Hospital and all the wonderful assistants there too who have made uh, some truly grim months considerably less grim with their kindness, compassion and care. Uh, I couldn't have got through it without them. They are all incredible. Well, so as are you. You're doing great, and it's so good that you're nearly, nearly yeah, the, kind. the old chemo <laughs> stuff. Uh, right, lots to discuss today. We're kind of in the middle. With, well, p- conference season has begun, and so that's really the focus of our podcast today. And with that in mind, let's welcome Joe Tanner, Whitehall insider, political strategist, former media officer for the Conservative Party, and all-round big brain on politics. Hello, Joe. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) Thanks very much, Callum, I think. (laughs) We don't settle for mediocre on this podcast, Uh, that is for sure. Uh, Well, I was already not happy about you suggesting... I was already unhappy with you telling us you're going on holiday when the rest of us are going off to party conferences. I I tell you what, Joe, sometimes it's good to have chemo because conference is a big germ fest and I can't go. So chemo is not without its charms. I've had had COVID for two October the 1st in a row. I got diagnosed on October the 1st this weekend. I'm dreading. I berated Keir Starmer after the last conference because I got it and said it was your dirty lot at Labour that I ended up having it. Never mind. (laughs) Uh, there's lots to discuss today. So we've had the Lib Dem conference, and I should say we'll actually be joined by uh, Pablo Ohana, uh, who used to work with the Lib Dems, and he's been at Lib Dem conference, so he'll be on before the end of the podcast as well to give us a bit of a review of what they got up to in Bournemouth. Um, right, let's start by considering the backdrop for a Conservative Party conference, because in the last sort of week or 10 days or so, we've had these attempts from Rishi Sunak to rebrand himself almost as taking these long-term decisions, making decisions now for the benefit of everyone in the long term. That's how he kind of framed net zero. HS2 is in the air as well. Is HS2 from Birmingham to Manchester going to be scrapped at some point? Conservative Party conference is in Manchester uh, this coming weekend. So Kirsty, is that is that the context that Rishi Sunak's, you know, going to try and go on that message? I'm making long-term decisions for the good of everyone. Yeah, look, I mean, Keir Starmer's tried a number of attack lines on Rishi Sunak, but the last one that he tried on in Action Man last week has clearly hit different uh, because we've had nothing but Action Man for for a week or so now. Um, the strap line going into conference and presumably the sort of theme for uh, the run-up to the general election is... Uh, longer-term decisions for a brighter future. Uh, I have to say that some of these uh, I would define as longer-term in as much as we're looking at a general election in 2024, um, and they seem to be uh, aimed at that primarily. Uh, But then having said that, you don't get to make longer-term decisions uh, for a brighter future unless you're in government. So uh, I have some sympathy with this. It's not uh, as cynical as it may appear uh, being in power is the first kind of priority of any government. You can't do anything without it, uh, as years of, of miserable opposition MPs will, will tell you. So so some of it's about that. I'm slightly um, confused by the comm strategy around this, though, because mm. uh, Whitehall sources tell me that uh, the larger reshuffle is sort of penciled in currently um, for the back end of October. Um, And we're getting policies now ahead of understanding and what I assume you're going to get from Rishi in his conference speech is the Rishi vision thing. Who is Rishi? What does he stand for? What sort of country does he want to build? And on the face of it, it makes more sense to me to outline that bit of it 
come out of the conference season with a great big raft of policies, then have the reshuffle, and then you're completely reset. Uh, I assume that some of this uh, action before conference is designed to quieten what to all intents and purposes looks like it's going to be a pony show for potential Tory leaders if they lose the next election. So a Braverman in particular has been out in this, you know, first out of the stocks mm. uh, to, to lay claim to the, to the populist right mantle over Kimmy Badenoch um, and having quite a lot of success in, in that area, at least. So I assume that bringing it forward is to design to sort of quieten some of that and give a sense that there is it is game on for the general election. Uh, and actually, we've seen, I mean, like one poll doth, you know, not a general election make, yeah. but we've seen an up, a small uptick in Conservative fortunes by about 5% in the Delta poll off the back of the climate change, you know, slightly converting climate change into a wedge issue um, without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So I that's the kind of backdrop on this. I, mm. I assume that it's about managing the party politics of conference, but actually... For me, I you know there is an argument for me that you do that at the back of it. Then you have your reshuffle. Then your prop, you know, you've done your who is Rishi bit. Mm -hmm. Then you've had your um, great big raft of policies, and then you have your reshuffle. I'm entirely of the view that you never announce policy in party conference or during party conference. It disappears without a trace. Mm -hmm. Journalists are far too interested in the party politics of conference to be interested in giving a real show to any policy announcements that may come out. Joel, let's come to you on this then, because, you know, the comms bit of this is actually quite interesting, as Kirsty was outlining, because it frankly has been messy. The HS2 stuff has been rumbling around now for days, and the net zero announcement was kind of forced, wasn't it, by leaks? And I'm just wondering why why there's not a kind of tighter grip on this. What 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 should we read into the seemingly quite chaotic communications, if indeed this is the strategy for Rishi to you know, uh, define himself? Why is it such a mess? Well, I think I think that's probably the crux of the issue is, is there a strategy or is it that they've just been bounced into making announcements? Because we all know there's a there's 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 an unhappy civil service that have not been very impressed with what's been going on since the Brexit days. You know, we've seen um, in recent weeks, the Laura Koonsberg documentary, which is sort of, you know, having civil servants that have, have sort of talking about what was going on behind the scenes. So we're getting this kind of very fractured relationship between the politicians and those people that actually turn what they want to do into action. And I think the I think the challenge is that, you know, this sort of long time, long, long term decision stuff, it feels more like it's taking a long time to make a decision rather than them being long term decisions, because this sort of vacuum that's being created is pretty dangerous. And, you know, Kirsty's right that making policy at conference is always a disaster because you announce it. And what happens is you can't brief people properly. The machinery you normally use is not there. But they seem to have been bounced into this speech that was hurriedly made on the Wednesday afternoon because it was not actually planned for then. I assume it hadn't even finished being written. And then you've got the HS2 debacle, which is just going on and on and on. Mm. And so you've got parts of the Tory party taking lumps out of each other and you've got the big beasts of old. You've got Michael Heseltine and George Osborne appearing to sort of have their say. So it, in fairness to number 10, I, don't, I would argue that I think Kirsty's right 
that it's difficult to understand what the strategy is. I'm not convinced there was one. I don't think this is how they intended for it all to happen. I think that's the point. And um, and I think the problem is when you've got a, a government in the position that, that they currently are in, you've got attacks coming on all sides. You've got your own, you, essentially, you've got sort of the, the leaks from within as well that are putting the boot in because they're probably unhappy with the direction that things are going in. So you can see why it's quite hard to keep the sort of show on the road. And that's not a great way to run into party conference. Mm. Um, Kirsty, you mentioned Suella Braverman. Let's just pick up on a bit of what she was uh, she was seeing in the United States as well, because this is, again, as you say, further context for conference. So she was speaking at a think tank on Tuesday, and Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, said, uncontrolled immigration, inadequate integration, and a misguided dogma of multiculturalism have proven a toxic combination for Europe, and the pace of migrant arrivals poses an existential threat to the West. She said fear of discrimination for being gay shouldn't be enough to qualify for refugee status. Uh, the Times, notably, has called it one of the most hardline speeches on the subject by a British Home Secretary. Uh, and is this all about positioning herself for a, lead- for a leadership run? Is that what, what you hinted at, Kirsty? Well, look, some of it is. Mm. Um, uh, some of it is uh, clearly a, a reach out to the to the red wall. She makes the point herself in this speech that six out of ten red wall voters uh, say they want the small boats uh, crisis in the channel tackled by any means necessary. So it's clearly a reach out to that at the expense of centrist conservative votes elsewhere and uh, in the old blue wall of the um, of the Tory heartlands, I suspect. But, you know, this is a gamble that they've clearly decided to make on it. Um, but, you know, if you leave slightly the politics of it aside, I mean, she does seem to have gone into a, a warehouse for pets and bought every single dog whistle uh, in the store to blow them uniformly. Um, so the politics of it is not subtle, let's put it that way. But the, the curious thing for me about this speech, um, I mean, like you fly all the way to New York, at, uh, you know, at the back end of Unger to make a speech to a think tank. There's a reason for that, because it is such a mess um, from a policy point of view. It is such a mess and a muddle logically. There's so many issues conflated here. And the central premise right at the top uh, of this speech is about you know pushing back against those who argue for uncontrolled migration and illegal migration. Now, outside of some really extreme people, you know, on, on one end of the political spectrum, who are these people arguing for uncontrolled migration and letting illegal immigrants, you know, set up set up shop here? Who are these people? I, I don't know any anybody that's arguing for that. And then so you've got this kind of premise that you're pushing against that doesn't really exist. And then a speech that's just so full of half-truths and uh, incorrect assertions, you know, full of language. I mean, leaving aside the, the, the dog whistle rhetoric, full of language, which, which is, you know, might, maybe, could be. It's a lot of, like, very vague language. And there's no nuance to this at all. So, you know, if you take something like, you know, she says multiculturalism makes no demands of the people that settle here. Well, that's nonsense. That's pure nonsense. Everybody that settles here has to take an English test for a start. Uh, She says that multiculturalism isn't working. Well, look around the cabinet table. Look at the prime minister. Look at the home secretary herself. 
uh, you know, the, our new uh, energy security secretary, Claire Catino, all these people show you that for some sections of society, multiculturalism has been a great success story uh, in this country. Uh, she talks about, you know, one in five births from foreign born mothers. Over the last 10 years, the birth rate in this country is falling, mm. uh, consistently falling. Uh, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of miss, you know, you know, half truths in this. And then if you talk about the slightly more, de- well, the, not slightly, the much more divisive policy issues that she goes in on, she hones in on. Uh, law and the courts and how it's shifted from persecution to sort of vague levels of discrimination around the LGBT community that claim uh, refugee status in this country. Well, one, that's 2% of any refugee uh, status application in this country. So we're not talking about masses and masses of people. Um, Two, we're largely talking about people that come from countries like Afghanistan, where being gay will get you killed. Um, and also she talks about, oh, we're in the 21st century now. 66% of 66 countries uh, in the world still have uh, policies against gay people that will either get you thrown in jail or executed. Most of those are old British colonial countries who have laws that were created in the 19th century. So there's a lot of mistruth about that. And if I could just do one more, sorry, then I'll stop ranting about this, but it's <laughs> just really annoyed me because it's just politically, you know, it's divisive. And from a policy point of view, it's a bit kind of wrongheaded. Um she makes the issue about, you know, the pressure on immigration, on housing. Yes, that is true. Immigration does create a pressure on housing. But so too does, you know, the modern uh, capacity for people to divorce. Mm. You know, divorce rates in this country, you know, post-Second World War have risen exponentially. You know, you used to have to stay with your miserable, in your miserable marriage till you both popped your clogs. Now you can get divorced and that means that one household becomes two households and you need two or three bedrooms for you know for your kids to come and stay a lot of people get remarried etc etc we also have an aging population a lot of elderly people would like to move out of their their bigger houses but we have a chronic undersupply of the right sort of sheltered accommodation for the elderly in this country but the biggest problem we have by far by far in terms of demand uh, is is a lack of supply, mm. and that is the succession of chronic undersupply, chronic planning problems in this country that successive governments have failed to tackle. So, yes, migration is a part of the story, but it is only a part of the story. And to, to single that out without having a much more nuanced picture about housing is just, like I say, getting a whole bunch of dog whistles out and blowing them en masse. So then, Joe, on... Sorry, rant over. No, no, it's good, it's good, because it's helpful. You know, it's good information, it's good analysis. And, Joe, there's lots to consider there. I suppose, shall we start with the kind of the internal party bit of this in the Conservative Party? I noticed that Political Playbook this morning has got a really helpful run-through of actually how this has gone down. And there's there's kind of a mix of reaction. Uh, some Tory MPs from the One Nation caucus, they were incensed about the speech and the fact that Bravham was allowed to deliver it. Number 10 says the speech went through the normal process of approval as well. Um, and I suppose one of the other parts of this is that some MPs on the Tory left are now calling on Rishi Sunak to kick Suella Braverman out of Cabinet. So actually, what's this done for internal Conservative Party politics? Well, I mean, the, the internal picture is a is an endless battle. And when you push off your reshuffle, that's always going to be a challenge in terms of how you uh, how you continue to manage competing uh 
egos, I suppose you should call it, um, within the party, because obviously everybody is thinking about what next, given the state of the polls and whether there is a vacancy that's going to be arising. And we keep hearing of, you know, letters starting to go in already at, at various points, even after last week's speech, there was talk again of letters going in because people in the party were not happy. So there's a few things going on. I think we should remember that there is a major pledge that Rishi made which is going to be the ones he, one of the ones he's going to be judged on in terms of did he deliver. And the small boats issue was one of the ones that he announced alongside the halving of inflation. So there is, a, there is an element of sort of Suella is, appears to be sort of setting the scene that it's not our fault, folks. It's the system that's broken. This is all about a much bigger problem. This is much bigger than the UK. This is a problem the world over. It's not our fault that we can't do what we want to do. Our hands have been tied here. So there's a degree of scene setting. And I think excuses being made early when that pledge you know, is not met because it isn't looking very likely that there is going to be a plane to Rwanda. It doesn't look likely that they're going to miraculously solve the small boats problem. But this is an issue that plays well to red wall seats. There is there is a lot of there are a lot of people that are living nowhere near um, where sort of small boats arrive and people come into the country that are very incensed about it. They are still very concerned about what that means for their local services. They are very concerned that the country is kind of stretched to breaking point, all these sort of phrases that get used repeatedly. So it seems that Suella is, on the one hand, yes, you could look at it as a, a sort of a big speech and a big sort of stake. Is she, is she sort of making this big move? She could also be giving her boss a bit of cover because the excuses are getting in early about why actually they're not going to deliver on what they need to deliver. And I think we need to think about the bigger picture here as well. Uh, This is Whitehall Sources. Uh, We are in the midst of conference season, and I suppose one of the other bits of backdrop ahead of Conservative Party conference this weekend is that the Lib Dems have just finished meeting in Bournemouth. Uh, So we'll talk about that next on the podcast. Do stay with us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, hello. Well, you thought you'd got rid of me, didn't you? Well, here I am in the break as well. You are welcome. Here at Whitehall Sources, we are always enthusiastic about rigorous journalism. So we have been tapping up our very special sources to find out more about The Resident. 
which says it has excellent rooms in exceptional locations, providing heartfelt hospitality. I'm pleased to say their story checks out, actually. Here's one of our sources, Bossman56, who says, Just spent three days at the resident Covent Garden. Room was excellent, so were the staff. The room and the hotel, clean and tidy. Staff were friendly and very efficient. We'll be going back soon. And in the interest of double sourcing, it's just what we have to do as rigorous journalists. How about this from Gufton, which I assume must be a codename. The best hotel I've stayed at in London. The customer service was unsurpassed from the moment I walked in the door. It actually all makes us very proud to be supported by The Resident on Whitehall Sources. And you can join The Resident online. Go to residenthotels.com. And if you all do that, they'll actually just be very pleased with us. So go to residenthotels.com. Thank you. This is Whitehall Sources. Thanks very much for being with us. We've got Kirsty Buchanan, we've got Joe Tanner, and we're welcoming to the podcast Pablo Ohana, uh, the director of Apostrophe Campaigns, a PR and marketing agency, but also a former Lib Dem advisor for seven years, no less. Pablo, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. And how was the Liberal Democrat Party conference that has just wrapped up this weekend? Yeah, it was a good one. It's it's felt um, it, so. It's very funny. So last year I had to uh, go to all four. Well, I would have gone to all four. So I would have been at Lib Dems, Labour, Tories, and Greens. Uh, obviously, Lib Dems was cancelled because of the Queen dying. And I remember coming out uh, at the very end of Tory conference and thinking, okay. Don't complain when you have to go to Lib Dem conference next year because you actually missed it a little bit, <laughs> which is very, you know, it takes a lot for me to admit that because, you know, I'm one of those Lib Dems that likes to pretend that I'm kind of too cool a little bit. Um, but no, it actually was nice to be back uh, kind of surrounded by people um, and seeing old friends and things. So no, And it has a really good feeling, actually. I think I was thinking about this on the train home last night is that I hate this phrase because it's so overused in politics, but they are very sort of cautiously optimistic. And I think that's quite different to 2019 when it was almost sort of giddy, like mm. unrealistically so. You know, people were sort of had these incredible ideas of, of where the party was going to go. Um, yeah, so I think uh, we, we're we sort of over that trauma of 2019 and the kind of the hangover of that. Um, and I think that the, the feeling now is optimistic, but it's more realistic. Mm. So it's not... Um, you know, it's not kind of a way with the fairies, which I think perhaps this might have been where we were in 2019. Um, so, yeah, it, it felt good, actually. And I, I think it feels, as I say, more realistic. The prospects yeah. are more realistic. Is, is that what, what defines a sort of good or successful party conference as far as the Liberal Democrats are concerned? Because I suppose the biggest headline to emerge from it was the, the vote on, um, on housing, wasn't it? This kind of internal rebellion almost against Ed Davey on, this, on the idea of, of, of a target for building homes. And actually it was kind of young people within the Lib Dems that, you know, stuck it to him, basically, to put it frankly. So I, I don't, there's a lot of talk around how sort of democratic the Lib Dems are internally and I suppose that's the spin that's put on it but does that how does that feed into the sort of feeling of a successful conference or otherwise yeah so I I think it's um 
it is an example of the, the sort of uniqueness of the Lib Dems because an ordinary member is as as powerful as the rest of the party. You know, we have one member, one vote, um, and this was an example of that where um, the the members decided they didn't like something and they were going to sort of maintain things. I mean, I, 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 as I say, I think it was a bit of a media myth because actually, essentially, it has just kept existing Lib Dem policy. Um, but to be fair to the young liberals, you know, they 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 put in a good fight and uh, and they won. Yeah, <laughs> they did. So, yeah. I think that, as I say, that sort of it gives you the difference between the two big parties and Lib Dems and the way in which they conduct things. And I suppose, um, as frustrating as that, I mean, I'm sure I know, having been on the other side, that that can be quite frustrating mm. um, as a as a as a staffer. But it is also what makes the party the party. So, you know, it's um, I guess it's it's part of the <laughs> the unique world of the Liberal Democrats. Yeah, I mean, uh, hats off to you, Pablo, for trying to spin away that uh, <laughs> that voters just holding on to existing policy. What they would, what the leadership was trying to do was was act. Uh, I, I think they topped the housing building target, you know, arms race by uh, going for an annual target of three hundred and eighty thousand homes, uh, a net build compared to three hundred thousand. Um, for the other main parties. And, you know, just to put that in perspective, we haven't hit 300,000 net build in this country since uh, the 1960s, and we only did that because we uh, the net was buoyed on the back of mass slum clearance of homes rather than uh, uh, 300,000 legit build over and above what was normally there. Um, but I don't think that having Tim Farron on beforehand to lecture a load of young people that have no chance of getting onto the housing ladder from from a man who's presumably I'm all right, Jack, with my nice house, uh, to say to accuse them of Thatcherism and Thatcherist policies when all they, all they want is a fighting chance of a home. So uh, small wonder that this uh, got defeated. And, and also it's a bit of a blow from them politically because one of the reasons they wanted to get rid of this um, wasn't just, a, as they dare to say, a tidying up exercise. It's because they're specifically going for blue wall seats in the South. Um, and, uh, you know, mass building of homes so that young people have somewhere to live is not hugely popular in the Tory shires. So they were trying to ditch that because they their greatest chances outside of the southwest are in some of those Tory shire seats where if they can get their tactical vote strategy right, they have a chance of gaining some of those seats mm. uh, over and above Labour where, the, uh, where they were the second uh, whether they were second in the 2019 general election. I do think that there is um, an argument to be made. And it, I mean, it's funny. So I've actually never voted at a party conference because I've always been there as a staffer or someone working. So I've never had a voting pass. Um, but I do think that there is a case to be made um, that, A, certainly for social housing, and I, I see that where I live, but um, that it is about the communities that surround that as well. And there is there is quite a lot of housing um, that goes up that doesn't have the kind of community in the infrastructure around it to support it. So I think, I mean, I, I, I do think that there is um, some some politicking going on. Um, and I think that is the case with, with one or two other issues at conference as well. Um, but I do, I do buy the argument that you need to have a kind of community and infrastructure around the housing as well it's mm-hmm. not just about let's just build loads of houses joe i want to just sort of zoom out a little and ask that same question what what is a successful party conference for any of the parties what what is the idea what is the ambition 
Um, well, I mean, there's a few things. One is to it's supposed to be kind of, you know, rallying your your base. You're supposed to to sort of leave them with a warm feeling about why they've paid a fortune to trek to somewhere <laughs> and be away from their families and drink warm white wine for a few days and talk <laughs> about policy. <laughs> um and uh, and and you know, for the Tories in particular, avoid being pictured with champagne so that they don't look <laughs> like they're enjoying themselves too much. And that sort of you know, that was actually an edict that came down from the, the party leadership. That if you didn't get photographed with a, a glass of champagne, that was a win. Um, oh, so you know, it, the, the the sort of the bar the bar moves probably on an annual basis as to the purpose of conference. The main point of party conference, let's remember, is to raise money. Mm. It's not actually about what's on TV. It's not actually about party members. It's about making money. The main reason that they have them and, and all the speculation about an election next year, they will not have an election in September or October because they want to make sure they can have their party conference and, you know, get a bit more money in before they have to go to, to the public. So that's the main reason. Mm. So selling spaces, making sure it's busy, etc. But then the optics, not having a huge bum fight over a policy that then unravels is is obviously a big a big part of it, but parties manage to do that whether they get to party conference or not. Yeah. But having the sort of noises off and the sense of a, a fracture in the um, in the sort of party leadership is always uh, something that people try to avoid. Um, having a row with your own base is never a good look. And I think one of the challenges that the Dems have got is that many of those people that will have had that vote um, are also the people that probably were hurt by the tuition fee row. So actually you've, you've potentially sort of attempted to kick them for a second time, mm. which if you want to keep those people who've actually bothered to turn out to your party conference, if you want to keep them on side, probably not the best way of going about it. And I think your point about Tim Farron is absolutely right. So there is a there is a sort of, you know, we're all friends and we all get on and we've all got, we're all moving in the same direction is the sort of warm feeling you want to give people. You also do want to have those side debates, but you, you want the side debates, but you don't want them to go public. You want people to feel they've got a chance to have an opinion, but let's not have an opinion that upsets the direction we're trying to travel in. So it's a very strange I mean, it is like organising a sort of wedding with, you know, as many parts of your family that are at war as you could possibly get into a room at any time. Um, the only difference is you don't make much money unless you've got very generous guests that probably mm. give you a bunch of cash at the end of, <laughs> at the, end of the do. Um, but otherwise, you know, you sort of you want nice pictures, you want mm. nice speeches to have happened and you want everyone to have got on. It's very unlikely, particularly when you've got ambitious individuals. So it's... I don't think the Lib Dems have come out of it. I don't think it's disastrous for the Lib Dems, but I think they probably would have preferred to have been in a slightly better position. The Lib Dems have got this terrible position now of trying to sit on the fence. Of They've got a bunch of seats in the South that they should really just walk in the next election. They should be easy to get. The problem is they're also aiming for those same seats that have caused the Tories a problem because many many Southern MPs were concerned that too much focus was being put on the Red Wall. So actually you were sort of, playing to a particular base and not not thinking about the whole country. The challenge is that Lib Dems fall into the same trap of saying, well, we're going to go after those seats too and actually not concentrating on actually securing those seats down in the south, that they could just walk along that south coast, for example. In, in that, I suppose, the, uh, the greatest hand that the Liberal Democrats have got in those target seats is poo. Poo in our rivers, yeah. poo in our sea waters. You know, it's not a strong argument for Labour to make in those seats. It is very much 
uh, a ground where Liberal, Liberal Democrats can make a, a lot of headway on uh, conservative failures to uh, tackle raw sewage uh, in our waterways and on our coastline from someone that lives on the coast and is increasingly looking askance at my prospects of getting some like virus disease or something uh, if I fancy a dip. Mm. Um, you know, so I think, I think there are some strong hands to play for them. Uh, and in terms of conferences and in a wider sense, the Liberal Democrats have got one big thing going in terms of what Joe rightly points out is that, you know, that need to leave with a kind of warm and fuzzy feeling. They're always at the start of conference, which means they usually benefit from, uh, you know, a warm September and they're by the coast. Some of my happier memories of conference have been eating ice creams on a beach in Bournemouth or, or Brighton. Um, but they have, a, they have a problem, if you like, in terms of getting cut through any cut through uh, in the wider media from their conference. Um, and the cut through they usually get is is because of of issues like this you know this yimby backlash rather than mm. you know sensible important things that they've put forward uh, for their seats. So in some senses you've got this ironic uh, media uh, issue where uh, you know the main you know is the Labour and, and the Conservatives are trying to only commit to the right news. Um, and the Liberal Democrats, to some certain extent, any news to remind the, people that they are actually at conference, you know. I and the to, footage, the yeah. footage of Ed Davey getting dunked off his canoe did have oh, echoes yeah. of Neil Kinnock when he <laughs> fell over on Brighton Beach, you know, which is exactly what you don't want from a leader, that is that footage that runs and runs and runs for years to come. But, well, that was quite a moment. That they were trying to do with Ed Davey. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I think I think one of the things that they're trying to do with that, David, is really humanise him because, um, I mean, I have to... Well, concede- that was plenty human. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... I- to air is human, Pablo. <laughs> He's now covered in sewage, apparently, as well. So everyone's going to give him a wide berth. Well, actually, it's very funny that um, it's very funny when you brought up about sewage because um, a senior MP said to me, um, "Well, this is a Lib Dem conference. If we're not talking about PR, we're talking about poo." Um, and I thought, yeah, well, that's the two the two pieces of the Lib Dem conference. But I think that there is there's quite a task to do to um, humanise Ed Davy, and I think it's it's interesting because he actually is a really warm, very sincere um, and sort of um, a man of, of real integrity. But it's it's quite hard to get that across when you're the third party. And as you said, you know, they, they really struggle with media cut through. Um, and so you end up having to do these kind of, you know, there's all the by-election stunts um, that, that we've all seen, the blue wall and the cannon and, and all these things. And it, it's funny, I saw Sky News doing a big debate about whether they thought those were effective. And and. Uh, I'm not quite sure where I sit on them, but the truth is, is that the Lib Dems do have to try, you know, 10 times as hard to get the cut through. Um, and if they're not getting cut through on that, then they're getting cut through, as you say, on issues um, that actually they'd, they'd probably rather not. But I mean, some of those actually in this conference were, were, were wrought on themselves. And I have to, I have to say that I, um, they, the other, the other big issue, of course, the Lib Dems are known for is, is Brexit, and they, they did shun that, and they, they made it worse for themselves by keeping it out of the main hall. They pushed it to the side. They really tried to kind of stifle that conversation, and by doing so, they just drew attention to it. And I had, I had about four journalists um, in a space of about fifteen minutes when the um, fringes were starting to text me, being like. Did the party consider that by pushing Europe this far to the fringes, that all it was going to do was draw a journalist to it, being like, hold on, you know, this is this is a, a central plank 
uh, of the party. And it's now been completely shunned. You know, it wasn't debated in the main hall at all. Um, the party's been a bit evasive about it. Um, and I do think, I think that could <laughs> could be a problem that comes back. Yeah, you're yeah, 100% right, Pablo. They needed some balls over Brexit. Let's, you know, not talking about it is not going to make people forget uh, what their positioning is over Brexit. So you either own that, um, you know, and there are plenty of votes to be had in owning that, I think, in in the South. Um, uh, you know, so I thought I thought that was a misstep. Uh, I'm interested in what you say about humanising it, Davey. Years ago, I went to a... Um, uh, it tells you how much time I had on my hands at a Liberal Democrat conference. I went to a you know a kind of fireside chat thing with Ed Davey, um, uh, and as you well know, Pablo, his family backstory is about as heartbreaking and human yeah. as any politician you will ever meet. Very, he had yeah. you know a very difficult childhood. He looked after his terminally ill mother. He's had you know uh, lots of challenges and difficulties. Uh, you know, in his own family, with his own family. Few people can understand, you know, the challenges of, you know, being a full-time carer, the challenges of, of, you know, of and the importance of the NHS and the wonder of the NHS better than Ed Davey. Yeah. Um, so for me, actually, you know, to humanise him, you know, uh, would seem to be probably one of the easier uh, politicians to do that with because I mean I almost cried when I went to that fireside chat yeah. that one man could have so much tragedy in his life mm. and be so incredibly positive and have learned so many you know valuable upbeat positive lessons from it it was really moving mm. it was Guy Gibson I think that did it from Channel 4 um, uh, yeah and it was really touching um, so I'm you know for me it's, it's a relative he as a you know to create a sort of human backstory for him is, is far easier than a lot of other politicians who have to say you know my grandmother's great grandmother you know had to survive on 5p or whatever um, but it never really works Kirsty does it if you're having the conversation that you have to try and humanise somebody yeah. you know that you've got a problem right because you know, it, it shouldn't be that difficult you know you most know, of the people that are in this case with all politicians yeah but if you've, if you've lived it so like you know David Cameron because of of you know Ivan his his son you know he very famously uh, did a, an incredibly moving speech you know at conference where he said you know I support the NHS you know because I'm a conservative etc etc I know what it's like um, and to be able to to be able to know that a politician you know lives lives a life like us that is touched by tragedy, touched by challenge, and understands that you know so many of us are carers, so many of us rely on the NHS, and he knows better than most how important that system is. I just think is a you know is a, is a is a much easier positioning for him than. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just, you know, it, it seems to be a relatively easy positioning for, for me. I think, and I don't I know why the they don't point, make more of that. But I think the point is sometimes when people have been through things like that, they actually become, they're so busy trying to sort of prove themselves and be somebody else because they don't want to be defined by their, their background or, or what they've had to live through, mm. that they can almost hide it too much. And yeah, so they fair. sort of overcompensate in the wrong way. Um 
and want to demonstrate how they can still do the job despite all that that's gone on. And so it can almost work against you because you become somebody that doesn't want to be defined by those things. And you want to say, no, no, but I'm a leader that can also take the big decisions on finance or I can take the big decisions on defence. I don't want to just be pigeonholed to being able to talk about the NHS because I've interacted with it so much. So Mm. you wonder whether there's any drive internally from him that's kind of stopped that narrative or sort of tried to focus on other things. And I think what's really sad is that he's actually failed to do either because what he hasn't done is looked serious enough with these silly stunts. He's not been able really to articulate properly, I think, where the Lib Dems are and what the Lib Dems would do. Um, And therefore, just buying into someone's backstory as it appears here and there or you hear bits about it is just not enough when people are facing the sort of challenges that they're facing and we've got, you know, the, the problems in Ukraine and all of that. So there is a... I wonder if there's a personal tussle going on and that it's not just about the people that are around Ed himself in terms of positioning. Yeah, that, that's fair. Pablo, can I just can I just ask, though, about... Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier on about, just to lighten the load a little bit, um, <laughs> those picture stunts that he does, uh, you know, even the ones that roll out the way they're supposed to, as it were, um, are they deliberately designed to be, uh, how can I put this politely, naff, uh, <laughs> so that they have a greater chance of, of actually making a paper? Or are they just delightfully naff because they are? And I'm sorry to be slightly rude, but it's a legitimate question, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, well, just quickly, I want to, um, I will answer that in two seconds, but I do want to just say, um, I mean, he did make this sort of central point in his leader speech yesterday, closing speech, um, about the NHS and about, and he talks exactly about that story, um, growing up and being a carer. And so they did announce yesterday the party's policy to um, have all cancer patient, patients seen within two months. That was sort of their central um, plank. And I, I do think that they're trying quite hard to to do exactly that, to humanise him and to tell that story, because it is, as you say, really, really difficult. And um, I think it gives him a lot of um, empathy and he can understand where a lot of this country is, is struggling and the people in the country are struggling. Um, and so I don't I, I think it's a totally valid place to go down. Um, I do think that it is going to take some time to, to kind of build that narrative. But I think it is one that is that is totally valid um, and, and not desperately unique. It is tough, but it's not unique. There are lots of people who go through that kind of um, that kind of trauma. Um, but in terms of the stunts, I think um, I, this must be the question. It's so funny. Being in the Lib Dems for so long, you, you kind of get asked the same questions over and over again. And it used to be tuition fees and coalition. Then it was Brexit. And now it seems to be about PR stunts. Um, I think... God, not only am I rude, I'm unoriginal. <laughs> That's the evolution of topics, um, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean... <laughs> I, Come on, tell us the truth, Pablo. I hesitate. Real or accidental? I, I, I hesitate to say this because I feel as though um, running a PR agency, this is what all bad PR say, but it's almost all PR is good PR kind of conversation, really, which um, I know is, is not... Is not um, original but they are they are you know they are meant to be eye-catching they are meant to get cut through and um i suppose whether people think they're naff is is <laughs> a personal opinion but but they get people talking right and i think that they do <laughs> i think that is that is almost the first barrier for the lib is, is having a is, is being part of the conversation mm. and you know there was the um the two by-elections where labor won one the lib dems won one 
um, the Lib Dems got more coverage because of that PR stunt, because the media had something to run. Um, and, you know, I think that there is there, a big part of the Lib Dem narrative obviously has to be that in a number of seats and in many seats across the country, they are best positioned to be the Tories. And so they have to get that message across if they're going to achieve cut through in the election. And I suppose these by-elections are a, a sort of an advertisement for that to say, OK, listen, um, in in these types of seats um, across the country, we are the ones who can beat the Tories. And those PR stunts are a way of sort of um, keeping that message out there, even for just, you know, one more news cycle or half a news cycle longer, you know, which is um, a success in, in Lib Dem eyes. Pablo, thank you so much. It's really good to speak to you and to get a bit of an insider take on the Lib Dem conference. Thank you very, very much. Uh, great to have Pablo on to sort of review Lib Dem conference. Joe, I just want to ask you then, just by way of a sort of quick look ahead to Conservative Party conference, which is this weekend, what, what is the agenda? What is What are the Conservatives, what are they grappling with? Um, and what, what should we expect from Conservative Party conference in Manchester? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one to share because normally they're responding to everything that Labour has put out. But obviously we've got this strange setup this year where Labour, through their scheduling, have ended up after the Tories. So this is an, a different position for the Conservative Party to be in. Um, I think a lot of what they're going to be doing is trying to... to throw some shade at Labour. They're going to be trying to suggest that Labour are not to be trusted on the big issues. Rishi is going to be, I assume, trying to be focusing on how he is getting a grip on the economy and that we're going to start seeing the the fruits of that effort. He's got those pledges that I mentioned earlier in terms of inflation. I don't think they're going to want to say too much about small boats because I don't think they're making the progress there that they would have liked. Mm. Um, so I think we're going to see a focus probably on the economy um, and trying to set out that, you know, he had the right idea um, and that he's trying to turn that tide uh, that, that, you know, people are feeling in terms of their their own finances, but the wider economy as a whole. They're also desperately going to try and keep the show on the road and not show any friction uh these are challenging conferences for all parties, but for the Tories in particular, it's going to be interesting as to how many politicians are even there. Um, one of the things they don't want to talk about, but is reality, is that they've got so many that are standing down that you've got essentially a group that are just not going to be in attendance. And what instead you've got is a bunch of people that are wanting to be the next Tory MPs who are very unlikely to actually get elected. They're, you know, Normally you've got people very eager, uh, very bright eyed and full of full of noise and chat. And actually, many of these people are going to be standing in seats where they've got no chance of winning. You've got bunches of 2019ers worried that, you know, they might lose or they might just hang on with a few hundred if they're lucky. Um, And you've got many that are just simply missing because they don't want to be MPs anymore. And they've made that clear. So I think it's going to be quite an interesting um, it's going to be quite an interesting sort of sight to see. And uh going to be very interesting to sort of go around and chalk up how many of the big business names are actually bothering to attend or how many have just decided to give up and invest in Labour because, you know, all the noise is coming from Labour that actually that's where business is wanting to invest. So there's going to be a lot of there's a lot to see, a lot of, of um, conclusions to, to draw. And I think for, for Rishi going into this, a very sort of difficult line to tread to keep everyone sort of 
anywhere near getting a maybe not even a warm and fuzzy feeling but not leaving angry and grumpy <laughs> very conservative these days because it's a tough gig so yeah. <laughs> to leave comfortably numb <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's probably not a bad I wonder without, if without the drugs i wonder if that's the, that's the song they'll come on to allergies and no it won't be dancing queen we're just holding on <laughs> oh gosh um joe thank you very much i know you've got to go to another uh, meeting and stuff but thank you for being so generous with your time i really appreciate it. It's great to have you on. Uh, so, Kirsty, same sort of thought then. That's quite interesting from Joe, you know, keeping an eye on who actually shows up and, and how much importance they're placing on Conservative Party conference. That'll be quite an interesting assessment or analysis to do. Yeah, look, on a plus side, uh, it can't be any worse than last year's conference. <laughs> That was carnage, wasn't it? So, Good grief! Which was utter. I, 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 like in all my days, I've never, I've never been to a conference like it. Joe's very right, though. That a lot of things uh, revolve around momentum at conference, and uh, you will have a large amount of MPs that are staying away. Uh, journalists will pick up on how many more. Um, uh, businesses and corporate uh, stands, etc. There will be at Labour conference, and there will be this year. But as ever, there's going to be like you know, there will be this will be a tale of two conferences, right? Mm-hmm. So for number ten, the challenge is uh, to present a sentence of momentum, a sense that you know this is a government that is full of ideas, full of vim and vigour. Um, that is is ready for the fight, the general election fight, and it still is in with a shout. It's still kind of game on. It is still possible to close the gap. That's what they need to convince the base, which will have to go out and do all the campaigning and the heavy lifting, and that's the narrative that they'll try and convince the media to. Uh, unfortunately for them, what they'll also have is a media that spend a lot of time in the bars where they're likely to come across quite a few people saying, we're done for, we've got no chance, he's not the right man. Mm. You know, on the back of, off the back of these conferences, we're going to have by-elections, which would be very difficult for number 10. Uh, there is already talk, and that will only flare up after these by-elections of letters of no confidence. I've even heard rash talk in uh, Westminster of a of a no confidence vote before Christmas. Now, you know he will win that, uh, but it all plays back to the original point that you know Rishi Sunak's age made uh, to the party and to the parliamentary party. If we unite, you know they said to them, you know there's a chance, you know there's a game on that you know we can take the fight to Labour. But if we don't unite, mm. you know voters do not vote for divided parties. Um, so. There's going to be this tension. It'll be interesting to see how much of the narrative uh, of the bars consumes the narrative on the conference floor. And that's the challenge for number 10. Kirsty, thank you very much. Uh, great to be in the buzz of, of party conference season with you. Uh, next week on the podcast, we will be speaking to some people who have been to Conservative Party Conference and we'll see exactly what it felt like uh, to be there as well. Uh, but for now, thank you very much, Kirsty. Uh, thanks as well to Joe and to Pablo for taking part in the podcast. You, of course, can email your thoughts, your takes, your analysis, all very welcome. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com and we will speak to you again next week.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 